1: And I know that just the thought of being together with family, for some, is stressful and in some cases can trigger depression, anxiety, amongst other things. I want you to know that your, your feelings are valid. Everything that you may be feeling right now about these things is real. And you have every right to feel that way. But take one step at a time. Remember why you're where you're at and where you're going. Remember your why. Take a deep breath and you'll make it. Hey everybody, Doc Bryan here and welcome the Doc Talks. Where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Today, as we know, we this week is is Thanksgiving, and and uh, we give thanks in all things, and we're thankful for you, our listeners. So this week, we wanted to turn to our guest line and take some questions from you. Um, you can. Always do that. You can call in at 910 777 7239. That's 910 777 7239. You can text us or you can call and leave a message for us to answer here uh, live on the podcast. Um, So we we want to turn to you now. Uh, We're thankful for you and we're thankful for the questions that you call in. So uh, here we go. We're going to answer the caller's questions.
0: Um, the question has to do with relationships. So I've had this friendship for 30 years, uh, really good friends. We've had some good times. We've raised our children together. Um, it's been good. But the last couple of years, I've been feeling like um, we're kind of fading apart. <laughs> our interests are different. And, you know, even sometimes being resentful of each other, what each other is doing. So, of course, I follow you and other people on social media and talking to friends. And this everything points to if the relationship isn't working for you, then you don't need to continue it. Find people who are like-minded, who support you, that kind of thing. Sounds like great advice. However, if I were to tell you that this relationship is actually my marriage, and the relationship is with my husband, then it is completely different when you talk to people or read things on social media and stuff like that. People tell you, no, you must try and and work this relationship out and keep it together because you made a commitment and you made a promise. And yes, I am Christian and I do believe in God and my commitment to my marriage. However, I'm, I'm feeling lost and I don't feel like it's a good situation anymore. It is not abusive. It is not hatred. There's nothing like that. I just don't feel like I am growing or learning or being complete in this relationship. And I really don't know if I want to work on it. And I don't know if he wants to work on it. So what's your advice? Why do people, I guess the question is, why do we make it so different if it's a long-term friendship versus a marriage? Is it just because of the commitment under God or not? Anyway, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
1: Well, thank you for your call-in and your question. Uh, and it's it's a great question, yet multifaceted and, and a bit complex. Um, to answer the short of the question, which was, why do we look at these relationships differently, whether it be a long term relationship or a marriage? It is that commitment that we we make before God, we make before our family and our friends that uh, we, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, and uh, all of those things that, that we're going to try our best to make it work. However, while I'm not an advocate for divorce, there are certain situations where. It is appropriate and it takes place. One thing that I I really caught my ear in your question, in your statement was that you really don't know if you want to work on it and you don't know if he wants to work on it. And that is so important. If if you both are not committed to the marriage, uh, whatever you do to try to quote unquote fix it isn't going to work. And so, first of all, you have to both be committed. If you find yourself in a situation where you feel, as you said, that you're not growing anymore, you're not, you know, you're feeling lost, that you're just not getting anything out of the marriage, the relationship. My first question would be Have you talked to your spouse about that? Do they feel the same way? Have you grown apart just? Is it one-sided that you've grown apart? Is the resentment there because you're trying to keep score? And and if you keep score in any type of relationship, you're always going to be on the losing end because you value what you do way more than you value uh, what your partner does, whether it be in a marriage or in a long-term relationship. There are a lot of things, uh, a lot of a lot of variables here that that you would have to to work out and to know in order to make a very good, rational answer here to your question. But again, as to the, the question that was posed, why do we look differently at long-term friendship versus a marriage? And that is because of the commitment that we made to each other, not only you know in the host of witnesses at a, at a marriage ceremony, but legally we have made a commitment to each other. And we must do our best to keep that that commitment. All right. Thank you again for your call. And here's our next caller. Hey, Doc, this is Brian. I'm trying to find um, some coping mechanisms for anxiety, specifically with social situations with large crowds. I would uh, appreciate any guidance on this topic. Thank you very much. Brian, thank you for your call and excellent name, by the way. I love it. I know that that a lot of men struggle with with social anxiety, uh, especially in crowds, particularly those men who are law enforcement or from a military that that they just are not well in crowds. There are those that are social butterflies, but those of us who aren't so couple of tips. The first thing that I would do is if you're planning on going to a crowded place, knowing that you're going to be somewhere where there's a lot of people, you need to anticipate it, whether it's going to be a family gathering or a large event like going to the mall or going to the fair, be aware of the crowds, visualize what you're going to be and visualize yourself staying calm, managing the lines, taking time to walk around, being near other people that you trust. The second thing is anxiety situations or whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, your body takes short, shallow breaths. So the first thing that you need to do is to slow down, take a deep breath, release any tension, take those deep breaths. And, and so check into your body. Be sure that you are in your space, that, that you can take that moment to breathe. And then listen to your thoughts if they're tense, if they're anxious, if they're negative, try to balance them out with an affirming statement that you're safe, that you're okay. For instance, there are so many people here. I feel overwhelmed, but I am okay. And I can leave at any time that I need to. Or maybe you would say it's so crowded. It makes me a lot headed, but I can always sit down and relax for a minute. Or everybody is walking slow. I hate this. But I knew it would be like this, and it's not hurting me. So balance those negative thoughts. Remember the positive. Remember why you wanted to go to this event. For instance, I've gone to this family gathering, and and there is a crowd here, and I don't like to be here in this in this crowd, but I'm here for my family. I'm here for my kids to make memories. Also remember, it's okay to take breaks. It's okay to leave and go to a quieter or less crowded place, and to know that it is okay to leave. Whatever the case may be, if you are, are in a situation where you're with family, it's okay to leave. It's okay to take that break. Now, sidebar here, if, if you are with someone who you know suffers from this type of anxiety and they do take that break, they or maybe even they leave, it's important for you to support their decision. Not for you to be critical about whatever they may be dealing with or going through or, or even saying things like, well, maybe you should just take a pill. I hate when people say that. Uh, maybe you should just take a pill, whether that be some kind of anti-anxiety pill or, or whatever, or even maybe you should have a drink. Those kind of things aren't helpful. So make sure that you're supporting whomever may be suffering from that, that social anxiety, that, that overwhelming feeling and help them along. Check in with them, offer ideas, solutions to help. And for those suffering with this anxiety, you you don't have to feel alone. You don't have to suffer in silence. You don't have to feel like you have to hide it. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with those around you and uh, you can make it. All right. Thank you, Brian, for that question. Here's the next caller.
0: Hi, my name is Lauren I'm from Greenbrier, Arkansas. I was wondering if Someone had been on antidepressants and anti anxiety medication for over 10 years. How hard would it be to completely come off and live an unquote normal life?
1: Lauren, thank you for your question. And that is a very good question. First, I want to give a disclaimer I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist. So when it comes to opinions as to medication, it's simply that an opinion. I can tell you from firsthand experience if you have been on anti-anxiety medicine or an antidepressant for over 10 years, it's not an acute anxiety or depression it's chronic. So there is a chronic diagnosis that is is tagged along with that. With that being said, in those situations the the uh, American Psychology Association has released studies that say the best, road to recovery of any, any issue is medication, psychiatry, along with therapy of some sort in psychology. And so when you put those two sandwiched together, you are able to, to recover quicker. So with that being said, there are some situations where someone is on an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety as an adjunct to help them get through therapy. Sometimes that may take a long time. I personally don't know that, that there has been something for 10 years, uh, but there, there could be a, a, a long-term uh, use there, if you will. So to answer the question, how hard would it be to completely come off, that is going to be case-by-case case situation. However, we do know that most antidepressants, you just can't come off of them. It may take six to eight weeks for you to titrate down off of medication to be able to get off of it. But that does not ensure that you would live a quote unquote normal life, whatever, whatever that may be. I do want to just note here, if you take antidepressants or you take anti-anxiety medications, don't ever stop taking them ever. Just stop taking them. Consult with your physician uh, have a plan of when you are coming off, how you are coming off, all of those kind of things. It is so important. Take your medication. Take them at the same time every day. And, and particularly when you're entering into stressful situations such as the holidays, you don't want to skip doses. Make sure that you stay on those medications. So thank you, Lauren, for your question. Uh, we appreciate it. Now our next caller. Hey, uh, Dr. Bryant. Love the show. Cletus here, Arkansas. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Let me tell you, it's truly an honor to be on the show. I wanted to know, like, what is your favorite uh, Christian
0: artist? Like, uh, mine's Kenny Chesney, but um, if you could, get back to me. I love, like I said, love the show. Hope to hear from you, bud. Cl-
1: Cletus, I, uh, uh, thank you for your question. First of all, I did not know that Kenny Chesney was considered a, a Christian artist, but that's great. Uh, I love that for him and for you. As far as Christian artists, um, I I love some of the old-time Southern gospel stuff. Uh, You know, the J.D. Sumner, um, the Inspirations, the Imperials, the Stamps, you know, all of those old-time Southern gospel uh, artists love them. The new stuff, Elevation Worship, Hillsong, uh, man there's just so many of them torn wells man there's just there's just so many I love all of them and and uh yeah so proud of you for for being Kenny Chesney that's that's funny Thank you Cleus, for your call We appreciate you calling in all right here next caller.
0: hey Doc Brian this is Bill in Alabama I'm a bit of an alcoholic and so I just wanted to know what your tips would be for staying sober through the holidays. My wife's family. Without going into too much detail, just what would you say your best advice for staying sober during that time would be? Thanks,
1: Bill. I I appreciate your question and your call in. And uh, the holidays is a particularly hard time for people who are trying to live sober, uh, specifically because. They're going to be around people and stressful situations that could bring back memories of why they wanted to drink or particular things that cause their illness. And for people living in recovery, uh, whether it be from alcohol or drug addiction, staying sober during the holidays can feel like a challenge and, and sometimes feel like it's going to be impossible to do. So a couple of tips here. The first thing is that you need to remain within and maintain your, your routine. Stay on your schedule as best that you can. I know that the holidays are busy. They're going to throw your schedule into chaos, but you need to keep going to your 12-step meetings Uh, If you attend church, you need to go to church. If you have a self-care routine, whether it be meditation or working out or running, whatever that case may be, you need to keep those routines. Keep them on track. Stay focused on recovery. Also, stay connected to your sponsor, your recovery community. You have to have that support. You have to maintain that schedule. You need that structure. You've got to stay within that structure. Now, the second thing that I would say is take a pass on any triggering events. It's okay to not do something if it's for your health, whether that be some kind of work party, some kind of family gathering whatever that may be, whether, even, I mean, even if it's a New Year's Eve party with your friends, especially if this is your first year being sober, you may need to skip some of these events that that really focus on on alcohol consumption. And it's okay. It's okay. During the holidays, AA, NA, they have gatherings that, that can serve as a safe and smart alternative. And so really, really tap into that and know that it's okay to do that. Now, third, have a plan. Uh, plans, (laughs) Plans are so important to our structure. If you are going to attend an event where there is alcohol being served, prepare yourself. Walk through scenarios that may happen. Plan on when you're going to get there, when you're going to leave, who you will be with, who you will not be with, You might want to even bring your own non-alcoholic drinks. You want to make sure that you have an exit or even an escape strategy. If you start to feel anxious, have your own transportation so that you can leave if you need to. I would also recommend to call your sponsor, uh, before the party, walk through the plan, take note of where the nearest AA meeting would be just in case, have that plan to stay focused. Now also, communicate this with those who are around you everybody everybody wants you to recover everybody wants you to be healthy some people may not understand what addiction truly is but most people will understand that it's not for you and so communicate that with them family members need to get involved in their their recovery from codependency of of keeping you feeling certain ways. And so you can work together as a team to recover and to avoid any type of holiday relapse. Now, if you are going to into a situation where you know that this none of this is an option, my best advice would be to pass on even going. And it's okay. It is okay to pass on certain situations. If it's for your health, don't let anybody, don't let anybody make you feel like you are in the wrong for taking care of yourself. It's so important. Your health is more important than anybody's opinion. And you can do it. You can stay sober. And all right here, next caller. Hey, Dr.
0: Brian, this is Jacob from Batesville. I just wanted to ask, I think it's, Pretty commonly known that there are a lot of different things that are over prescribed, you know whatever the case may be, different mental conditions and so on and so forth and I was just wondering your opinion, how much of that is actually spiritual warfare at play, and how much of that is legitimate in your opinion, do you think is legitimate medical conditions, and where do we how do we find the balance to walk that line of dealing with spiritual warfare? while also dealing with the physical afflictions as well. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jacob, for calling in. I wish you hadn't. (laughs) This is a hard question. Man, let's see. Let's unpack this for a minute. So once again, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. So uh, as far as opinions on medicine, that is is strictly my opinion from, from experience. So here's the thing. Whether or not it is spiritual warfare, it is making manifest through physical symptoms. Let's say, for instance, you were allergic to gluten. You may not know that you're allergic to gluten, but you are. And eating certain things make you have certain reactions, if you go to the doctor, they're most likely at first going to treat you for these symptoms. That's kind of the way that Western me- civilization's medicine works. We treat the symptoms. We don't always try to get down to the root cause. We, we treat the symptom. And so it would be after a period of time before you came to be tested or saw that, certain treatments were not working for you to come to the knowledge that you have a gluten allergy. And so then you would start eating gluten-free and most of those symptoms would, would go away. In much the same way, mental health conditions can come about, whether that be depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, whatever the case may be, They are going to be made manifest through physical things, physical symptoms. And so when you go to the doctor, you're going to be treated for the physical symptom. Then it's going to be through time, hopefully, therapy, and meeting with a psychiatrist that you get to a diagnosis. Now, as to the spiritual aspect of things, most of you know that that I am a pastor, I pastor a church here in in North Little Rock, and in my opinion, I think a lot of times we give way too much credit to spiritual things. Now, if you get into to Christian counseling, such as new ethic counseling, it's it's a form of evangelical Protestant pastoral counseling, and it's basically to to confront people out of this deep concern to help them make changes that God requires. In other words, looking at spiritual things, and I, I hate to put it in this category, but it's it's how I believe, is that there becomes a lot of guilt and shame that is to bring you back to a healthy, spiritual level. Guilt and shame never helped anybody. And most of the time in mental health conditions, they're already feeling guilt and shame that that they've done something wrong, that something has has made them to do this. And a lot of times Christians are taught that it's not okay to get, that they need to get help, that faith and therapy are not always mutually exclusive. But, but I want to tell you that There are millions, millions of people who are in religious communities that see therapists. And it is okay. It is okay to see a therapist. It is okay to seek mental health. When we begin to look at a level of spirituality, to think that this spiritual warfare is is causing these physical symptoms... Of course, you need to be on a spiritual level with God that if this is a, a spiritual attack, as one would put it, that that God would relieve those things. However, one would not assume that having hypertension or high blood pressure would be a spiritual attack. They would do things, whether it be lose weight, whether it be getting on medication, they would do things to lower their blood pressure. One would not necessarily consider cancer being a spiritual attack. They would seek help. They would do chemotherapy, radiation, whatever the doctor may state. I think it is highly, highly inappropriate to assume In any way, shape, or form, that a mental health condition is spiritual warfare. Can it be? Yes, it can be. But is it always? Absolutely not. And it is not safe to assume so. So if you are having these feelings of depression, anxiety, whatever the case may be, seek help. Seek help from a licensed professional, a mental health professional, talk to your pastor, your minister about it and follow their recommendations. And it's okay to tell your therapist, this could be spiritual warfare. And I want to talk about that and want to kind of unpack that for a little bit. Those things are okay, but I don't think that it's ever appropriate for us to just automatically assume that it is spiritual spiritual warfare. Well, I thank you for your calls and we I always enjoy answering your questions man some of y'all some of y'all ask some tough questions but we do certainly appreciate you calling in of course you can call us 910-777-7239 you can call us there leave a message or you can text us as well that's 910 777 7239 Of course, I'm Doc Bryan. You can find all of my social media links at thedocbryan.com. Of course, call us, text us, 910-777-7239. We hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving that you have time to spend with your family and friends. And just a reminder again, your health is more important than anybody else. Take care of yourself. Know your limits, know what you've got to do to stay healthy, and don't let anybody shame you for doing what's right for you. We love you and we'll talk to you soon. Happy Thanksgiving.